Good morning. Welcome to the cesspool that is humanity. <laughs> did anybody ever welcome you into the human race? And did they ever do it with such a, a horrible introduction? I just want to tell you today before we start that uh, we're all equals here before God. And uh, none of us have any special place or special um, standing with Him. I don't want you to think for a moment that because I'm up here on this elevated platform that I have anything that you don't have or I have access to anything that you don't have. If anything, I'm held to a higher standard. So today as we begin, we're going to address a topic that I believe is uh, very very common to all of us. It's very serious. It's very heavy. I have to tell you that in preparation for this this message, I have been affected. I have been um, I have been weighed down. I feel a heavy weight as I come to you today. And it's not because of of condemnation or it's not because of uh, something evil. It's because I believe that there is a truth here that I desperately want to communicate to you today. And I believe it's a truth that can change your life if you can grab a hold of it. And so I really want to communicate it well today and I want you to receive it because I think God wants to speak to each of us today in a very personal way. On February 27, 2008, Lauren Clary appeared on the game show The Moment of Truth, Fox's new game show this season. I'm sure you've seen the commercials for that where they uh, bring somebody on and, and give them a series of questions. Let me read to you Fox's description of this game show. It says, The Moment of Truth will put participants to the test, the lie detector test, to reveal whether or not they're telling the truth for a chance to win half a million dollars. On the moment of truth, the challenge is simple. Answer 21 increasingly personal questions honestly as determined by a polygraph and win up to $500,000. This is the only game show where participants know both the questions and the answers before they begin to play. Prior to playing, participants are strapped to a lie detector and ask a series of questions by a polygraph expert who records their answers. To win the half million dollars, participants have to tell the truth. Of course, the questions are easier when the stakes are low. But as the prize amount increases, they will be challenged to fess up to matters they might normally lie about. And the touchier questions could be especially revealing because the participants reveal their answers in front of spouses, relatives, and friends, not to mention an entire nation, hanging on every word. What deep, dark secret will someone divulge for hundreds of thousands of dollars? Well, on this fateful day, Lauren Cleric revealed deep, dark secrets. They asked her questions like, have you ever stolen money at work? And in her quest to win a half million dollars, she said, yes, I've stolen money at work. And they asked her, have you ever cheated on your husband? And she said, before a nationally televised audience, yes, I've cheated on my husband. Her husband was sitting right there. They even went so far as to corner her and say, do you believe that you married the wrong man with her ex-boyfriend standing on the stage with her? And she said, yes, I do all in her quest to win a half a million dollars. She told the truth. She passed those tests with the lie detector. 
And then they asked her a question. They said, do you believe you're a good person? And she said, yes. And the lie detector said, no, you don't. You don't believe you're a good person. And not only did she destroy her marriage and her credibility and probably her, her life, she didn't even get the money. We've been in a series here on secrets for the last several weeks. And Lauren revealed on that game show that she had secrets just like you and I have secrets. Perhaps they're not the same secrets, but we all have secrets. And as we've gone through this series, we've discussed this overarching theme verse that's common to all of us. We're going to put it up on the screen. I want you to read it with me. This is from Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, and it says, Those who conceal their sins do not prosper, but those who confess and renounce them find mercy. Let's read that out loud again together. Those who conceal their sins do not prosper, but those who confess and renounce them find mercy. It's important for us to understand the truth of this message. What happened with Lauren Clary as she stood on that stage, she continued to tell the truth and she continued to prosper until at some point in time, the truth broke down for her. She was unwilling to admit even to herself that she had problems, she had issues, she had secrets, she had shame that she didn't want to deal with. Now, as we've gone through this series, we've talked about several things. The first one we talked about, first week we talked about lying, the secret of lying. We all struggle with this. We talked about how devastating that secret was in our lives. The next week we talked about addictions and how prevalent addictions are in our society. All of us struggle with some sort of addiction to some degree, some more than others. And for some people, this really has a stranglehold on our lives. Last week we talked about sexual immorality, sexual addictions, and more specifically, pornography. And we learned that this is another common problem in our society today. And it's got a very strong hold on people. We learned how important it is to be set free from that. And today we're going to talk about, we're going to wrap up the series today by talking about the secret shame that all of us live with. And I believe that this issue is so common to all of us, we all fight with and struggle with the issue of shame. If any of you in this room are perfect, you have no skeletons in your closet, you have no failures in your past, you're welcome to stand up right now and come replace me here. (laughs) Because you could do a much better job than I could. Because I want to tell you, I don't have that option. I can't stand here before you and tell you that I don't have skeletons in my closet, I don't have failures in my past, I don't have mistakes behind me. Because I do. This is a common thing for all of us and I think the best thing we can do is come to an agreement and understanding that none of us are special here and we all need to address this issue in a very honest and and real way before God. In 2004, Frank Warren began a website called postsecret.com. He did this at the beginning as an art project and the way that he did it was he took uh, 3,000 postcards and he sent them out to various people, blank postcards, and he asked them to put some artwork on those postcards and to reveal a personal secret anonymously on that postcard and send them back to him. He had such an overwhelming response that he built this website and he posted these secrets, these postcards on the website. Now here's what's interesting about all of that. Today that website receives over 200 hits per minute. 
making it more popular than eBay. It's one of the most visited websites on all of the Internet. And I want to tell you, if you do go there, you'll, you'll find some objectionable, objectionable material on the website. But I spent some time there this week, and I want to tell you, it is haunting. It's haunting to read people posting their deepest, innermost secrets anonymously before the whole world. And what Frank Warren found was that people needed a place where they could release those secrets, where they could get them off their chest, if you will, where they could get them out in the open, even if it wasn't directly attached to them, as some sort of a method to find some healing. Some things that are extremely troubling. Some things that are sometimes humorous. But what I learned from all of that is that all of us have secrets to deal with. Well, today, my goal is to help us to draw a line in the sand. You're familiar with the analogy, aren't you, where you draw a line in the sand and you say, that's it, no more. We're not going to deal with it anymore. We're not going to go past this point. This is the line in the sand. We don't cross that line ever again. Today, we're drawing a line in the sand and we're saying we're going to deal with this shame issue. And I hope, I pray, it is my heart's desire that today you will find a way to be set free from the shame that tries to attach itself to you and tries to hold you down. Shame is defined as the painful feeling arising from the consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, ridiculous, done by oneself or another. And here's what's interesting. Shame is the first negative emotion that mankind ever felt. Let me take you back to Genesis chapter 2. Do you remember that right after creation... God, after God created the world, He created the earth and the sun and the moon and the light. God created all the animals. God created man, His prized creation. And He set Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to live in paradise. The Bible tells us that God walked with Adam and Eve in a very intimate way. Just in a casual relationship. They had such a relationship that they could talk to one another and be comfortable in one another's presence. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, we read these words, The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, I want, to, I want you to understand the magnitude of what that verse means. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. My friends, ladies and gentlemen, we need to find a way to get naked before God. We need to find a way where we can be naked before God and not experience any shame. But here's the problem. We can't do that. Because when we make ourselves that vulnerable, when we reveal ourselves completely, honestly, no holds barred, we find ourselves dealing with shame. It's God's desire in an ideal situation in paradise as He created things to be naturally the way that God wanted them to be in God's order it was God's desire for us to be able to live with one another with nothing hidden, nothing unrevealed. And yet, because of our secrets, because of our sin, we find ourselves having to live with a certain amount of shame, a certain amount of secrets, and so we find ourselves not able to deal with God and with one another to the same level that we're supposed to. What we found in Genesis chapter, 20, in chapter 2 when the man and the woman were naked and they felt no shame, that's the before picture. Now let's take a look at the after picture over in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve now, they were in their pre-sin state, in their pre-fallen state, they had this wonderful relationship with God. 
But in Genesis chapter 3, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. After they had eaten the forbidden fruit, after they had sinned, there's suddenly a stark awareness of their nakedness. Sudden. Blatant. They suddenly realized that they were naked. Nothing changed about their physical being from what it was before, except that now they had a knowledge and a shame that was attached to that. And what we find here is the pattern for all of mankind. In all of our relationships, once there's a fracture in the relationship, once there's a break in the relationship, once we have sinned, once we have lost trust, we suddenly discover and realize that we can't be open, we can't be honest, we can't be naked before one another. And it's all because of shame. Shame causes us to isolate ourselves. It causes us to separate. It causes us to feel very desperate. It's shame that we've got to find a way to overcome and overthrow in our lives. So the first thing we need to do to draw a line in the sand and deal with this shame is distinguish between guilt and shame. You see, it was right for Adam and Eve to feel guilt when they sinned. That was proper. Guilt is God's mechanism to lead us to confession and to repentance. When you mess up, when I mess up, it's right for me to feel guilty. We've got a little Yorkshire Terrier at our house. and when the, he's, She's pretty good about being housebroken, but when she messes up, she cowers down and you can see it. She walks around the corner and you know she's guilty. So she wears it all over her. That's natural. That's normal. That should be the case. But you know, she's got a really short memory. <laughs> she doesn't seem, to, it doesn't seem to stick in there. She's pretty good. But um, it's right for us to feel the guilt. It's right for us to allow that guilt to be used as a tool in our lives to conform us and to put us back on the path that we should be on. Guilt in its proper context is a helpful and productive thing in our lives. But shame, on the other hand, shame assaults our character. Shame is meant to bring us down. It convinces us that we are the product of what we have done and we have become what we have acted. And that's just not true. But that's what shame does to us. It's kind of like this. A guy walks into a bar and he orders a beer and as soon as the bartender hands him the beer, he takes the beer and he throws it right back in the bartender's face. And the bartender says, what are, you, what are you doing? And the guy said, I'm sorry. And he grabs the napkin and he starts wiping the guy's face off. And he says, I'm really sorry. I know it's not the right thing to do, but I've got, I, I, I've got a compulsion to do this. It's wrong. I've tried to fix it. I've tried to solve it. I don't know what to do. And the bartender said, look, buddy, don't you ever come back in here. And if you do come back in here, I'm never going to serve you again. So you get this problem fixed. The guy said, I'm sorry. So he left. Several months later, the guy comes back into the bar. Bartender said, oh, no, I'm not serving you. He remembered the guy. He said, I'm not serving you. He said, no, look, I've been to a psychiatrist. I've got this problem dealt with. It's okay. So the guy was, after a while, he convinced the bartender. The bartender handed him another beer. The guy took the beer and immediately threw it right back in the bartender's face. Bartender screamed at him, I thought you were cured. He said, oh, I am. He said, I, I can't stop doing it, but at least I don't feel guilty about it anymore. You see, it's right for us to feel guilty. 
But what the problem is when the guilt moves beyond just guilt and it moves into shame. We've got to get beyond that. In Romans chapter 8, we read these words. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church and he says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Now let me read this to you again. Let me get, let, I need you to get a hold of this. I need you to get this in your heart. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Let me say that just a little differently. Therefore, there is now no shame. God did not put shame on you. Shame on you is not from God. Guilt, that we own, that we, that we earn, and that belongs to us. But shame, that's not from God. Shame comes from our enemy, and shame comes from the product of wrongful thinking, faulty thinking in our own self. And we get caught up in this, this twisted thinking that says we are now evil, we're wicked, we're weak, we're bad. And that's not who God says that we are. God says there's no condemnation, there's no shame if you're in Christ Jesus. You're His child. You're chosen by Him. You're loved by Him. He loves you not because of what you've done. He loves you not because of what you have not done. He loves you because of what Jesus Christ has done when He went to the cross for you. And that's what your relationship with God is based upon. It's based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus went to the cross and He paid the price for your sins so that you could walk naked before God once again. It's not based on the fact that you messed up or you didn't mess up last week or even today. It's so important that we understand this. There's no condemnation from God. There's no shame from God. Point number two, the next thing we have to do to draw this line in the sand, to separate ourselves from shame, to get away from shame, to get up beyond shame, is to release the hold on our secret shame. You see, the problem with shame is that once we take shame on, once we move from guilt to shame, we start to own shame. We start to to internalize it and make it a part of who we are. We've accepted that we're bad or that we're dirty. Have you ever heard how to trap a monkey? (laughs) they say that one of the ways you can trap a monkey is by using some bait. So what they do is they put the the bait, the banana, down where the monkey's going to go for it. I have a a little bucket here with a hole in it. And they set the bucket over the the bait, and the monkey goes for the banana. No jokes, please. And the monkey puts his hand around the banana... And once his fist is closed around that banana, he can't get his fist out of the bucket. I can't get my fist out of this bucket as long as I hold on to the banana. It won't work. If I release the banana, I can get my fist back out. Unfortunately, I think for most of us, shame is like this in our life. Once we get a hold of shame, we won't let go of it. And God wants to set us free, but we won't allow ourselves to release the grip that we have on shame, that we put on shame to hold shame into our lives in some sort of weird, twisted way, we end up liking the shame and owning the shame and keeping it a part of who we are. Colossians chapter 2 says this, When you were dead in your sins, when you were dead in your sins, 
while, when, as you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. You see, God wants to take that shame away from us. And God took that shame away from us and He nailed it to a cross and He did it while you and I were unworthy. While we were dead in our sins. But somehow or another, you and I have crawled back up to the foot of that cross and we've grabbed hold of not just the cross, but we've grabbed hold of this weight of shame and we're holding on to it and we're allowing it to disempower us. We're allowing it to hold us back. We're allowing it to hold us down. We're allowing it to keep us from the destiny that God has for us. Continuing on, drawing the line in the sand, I believe one of the other things we have to do is adopt a no-regrets policy in our lives. We've got to learn to live our lives making one choice after another, one at a time, in a no-regrets kind of way. We need to learn to live our lives guilt-free and shame-free as much as possible. Now, I want to give you a couple of practical tips that can help you with this. These are not in your notes. If you want to jot this down, I think these can really be helpful to you. Number one, get an accountability partner. Find somebody that you can open up to, that you can talk to, that you can reveal those deep, dark secrets to. Some of you, that will be your spouse. For some of you, it can't be your spouse. But I want to say something to you, church family. Not only do you need to find an accountability partner that you can open up to and get some of this stuff off your chest, get, some, get rid of some of you, get cleansed of some of your secrets, but some of you need to step up to the plate and be an accountability partner. Because there are people all around you that need somebody that will listen to them without condemning them, without pointing the finger down at them, without judging them, without forevermore looking at them through clouded eyes. We need one another. I need you. I need you to love me for who I am and accept me for who I am. And you need me to do the same thing. So I want to encourage you to find somebody that you can get with and, and be honest with and be open with, an accountability partner that will hold you to hold your feet to the fire as you pursue the path that God has for you. Number two, I want to encourage you to keep your sin list short. You know, it's pretty common for us to go through life just not thinking about stuff. We mess up a little bit here, we mess up a little bit there. We don't really give it a lot of thought. And over time our conscience gets kind of seared. And so we're not real sensitive to that anymore. And we think, well, I'll just wait till Sunday when I get to church and I'll confess my sins Sunday. You know, I have that time of communion where they pass the cracker and grape juice and I'll tell God all the wrong stuff I did then and then I'll be good to go for another week. I want to tell you, that's not the way God wants to live life with you. That's not the way God wants to walk in the garden with you. God wants to live life with you walking hand in hand, side by side. When you mess up, and you're going to mess up, folks, Welcome to the cesspool of humanity. We all live the same life here in much the same way. In this stuff, we all struggle with sin and you're going to mess up. But when you do, God already knows about it. What do you think you're hiding from Him? Go quickly to God. I'm sorry, God. I messed up. I knew I shouldn't have done that. I did it anyway. Will you forgive me? You know what God will say? Yep, let's go. Quickly move on. Keep your sin list short. And as you keep your sin list short, the shame begins to shed. It begins to slough off of you. And you find yourself walking upright before God. 
And you find yourself being able to get a little more intimate, a little more personal with God. And you'll find that that will translate into better relationships with other people. And third, I want to say to you, practical tip, you're going to have to confront the pain and the fear. You're going to have to do it. In 1985, the Chicago Bears won the the Super Bowl. And many people still believe the 1985 Bears to be one of the best, if not the best, team that the NFL ever put on the field. And one of the most dominant players on that team was William Refrigerator Perry. His nickname was Refrigerator because he looked kind of like a refrigerator. He was just built like that. Tough man, just brutal out there on the football field. But William loved to smile. And um, what we discovered as time went on was that William had an inner fear. He was afraid of the dentist. And for 20 years, Refrigerator Perry did not go to the dentist. As you see in the photo... He had a little problem with his teeth. They say that his gums hurt him, his teeth hurt him. He was in constant pain, but he would not go to the dentist because he he lived in fear of what he would face when he got there. And finally, a dentist approached him and said, I will pay for the $60,000 procedure it's going to take to fix your mouth, which they did. And William Perry went through the process and got a new set of teeth. And they say it changed his life. He began to smile once again. But I want to say to you in much the same way, You are not going to get that smile in your life. You are not going to find the freedom in your life. You are not going to be all that you are intended to be, all that God designed you to be, all that you have hopes and dreams to be until you are willing to confront your fear and your pain. And let me tell you something. When you confront that fear, whatever it is, that secret that's hanging all over you, that shame that only you know about nobody else knows, until you confront it, you are not going to be free. When you confront it, you're going to feel some pain for a while and it may cost you something. The fear, the pain may have some ongoing residuals attached to it. But until you're willing to confront that fear and that pain, you're kind of at a standstill in your process with God and your walk with God. And I don't know that you can hope for things to get a whole lot better. Maybe some, but certainly not all that God wants for you. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. God came looking for Adam and Eve in the garden because he was accustomed to walking with them that way. That's the way that God interacted with them. But when he came, he found them hiding. In Genesis chapter 3, we pick up and we read these words, But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? How do you know you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? I believe this is one of the saddest passages in all of the Scriptures. Because God wants relationship with man. God had made a paradise for man. And man had made a bad choice. And suddenly man found himself in the position of hiding from God. Folks, God does not want you hiding from Him. But you will hide from Him as long as you have shame on you. You will run from Him. It becomes the normative pattern for us to run and to hide from God. And that's not what God wants. That's not the way God wants it to be. There was an innocence lost. There was an intimacy lost. Let me ask you this. Do you know what your shame is? I think most of you do. I think most of you, as I, as I ask that question, you're already well aware of what your inner shame is that you don't want to reveal to anybody else. Let me tell you, God already knows what it is. He won't be surprised 
All God wants is for you to reveal that shame to Him and deal with it in an honest manner and let Him begin to make a change in your life. Finally, I believe we've got to do one more thing to draw that line in the sand. We've got to walk away from our past. A man said to his friend, say, hey, you look depressed. What are you thinking about? The guy said, my future. He said, well, what makes that so hopeless? And he said, my past. I think that we identify with that just a little too much. We feel like our, our past kind of dictates our future. The two very important items on a ship that I want to talk about right now. The first one is an anchor. When you're on a ship and they drop anchor, they usually drop an anchor off the front of the ship. And that anchor's purpose is to set you in a static position and to hold you there and to keep you from drifting someplace that you should not go. Anchors are good things. Anchors are necessary things. But when it comes time for that ship to move forward and to go on its way, the anchor has to get out of the way, correct? The other thing that I want us to talk about is the rudder. The rudder is that piece that's usually in the back of the ship that helps to steer the ship and to keep it on course, to guide it in the direction that it's supposed to go. And here's what I think the problem is. Too many times in our life we let our past become an anchor instead of a rudder. God wants your past to become a rudder to you. He wants you to use your past to help steer you on the right path. Take the lessons that you've learned from the failures in your past and allow them to guide you down the right path. But don't allow your past to hold you down, to get you buried in the mud and the muck and to keep you from moving forward with what God has for you. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses had an encounter with God and there was this burning bush and God spoke to him from the bush and He said, I want you to take My people, the Israelites, and deliver them out of captivity. And Moses said, God, what do I say to people when I tell them, you know, this bush started talking to me? And God said, you tell them, in Exodus chapter 3, I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. I want you to notice what God did not say. I was that I was. I used to be what I used to be. It's because God is the God of today. God is a present tense God. And if you're living in your past, and if you're hanging on to your past, you are not where God's presence is. God's presence is in the here and now. And God wants you to be in His presence. And God wants you to walk in His presence. And God wants you to have a relationship with Him in His presence. But in order to do that, you've got to leave the past. Now, I know most everybody in this room could pull up past hurts. Could pull up damage that's been done to you in your past. And I want to say to you today, what's done is done. You can't change the past. Today, God wants you to draw a line in the sand. God wants you to move beyond your past. And God wants you to step into your future. And He wants that future. God's heart, God's desire is for that future to include a right relationship with Him, a nakedness with Him, an honesty and openness that you've never known before. My friends, it's not going to happen until you draw a line in the sand. So here's what we're going to do. Today I want to give you an opportunity to respond right where you're sitting. To respond to God. I'm going to pray here in just a moment. And I want you, in a very silent way, in a very personal way with God, I want you to be honest with Him. 
and tell him what you already know and what he already knows. But admit it to him. And then after our service today, we're once again going to have our prayer room open over here on this side, your left. There are going to be some people back here who won't condemn you, who won't judge you. They're just going to be there to pray with you. And if you want to pray and ask somebody to support you in that, I want to encourage you today. You need to make a move towards God. You need to draw a line in the sand. Let's pray. God, I don't know anybody who doesn't have a past littered with garbage, with hurt, with pain, with fear, with frustration. I don't know anybody that hasn't tried to hold on to things that they should have let go of. I don't know anybody that uh, is free from sin and free from guilt. I don't know anybody that's free from shame, God, some way or another. But God, let me, I want to just remind myself and remind you of something else that I do know. That Your grace is amazing. That You have said, whosoever will may come. But you have said, if we will confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You have said, God, that you've chosen us, that we're chosen people. You've said you've picked us out and you love us, not because of what we've done or what we haven't done, but because of what Jesus has done. So today, God, we confess our faults to you. We confess our shortcomings to you. We confess our sins to you. We confess the the horrible things that we don't want anybody else to know. We confess them to You. And oh God, we want to make a move forward towards You. And we want to walk away from the past. We want to embrace the future that You have for us. So today, God, before You, we come. We come to You.